0: Hey everyone, welcome to a special remembrance of Mike Leach edition of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. And Joe, uh, you know, what can I say, but uh, a life well lived by Mike Leach, one that he was taken away from us uh, far too, far too young. I mean, 61 is, it, it's, it's crazy when you just think about this. He seemed like he still had so much exuberance and life left. And You know, someone that I would have thought would have coached for another 15 years and just a real tragedy that happened over the weekend.
1: Yeah, just unspeakable tragedy. You know, thoughts and prayers go out to uh, his entire family in Mississippi State and everybody, you know, that played under him and knew him and were friends with him. And just how fast it transpired is still, to me, uh, so hard to fathom.
0: Yeah, Joe, I mean, if you looked at it, there were pictures of him going out at some kind of dinner party in Starkville on that Saturday night, which was the day before he got taken into the hospital, and it seemed like he was perfectly fine. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, went, went to a dinner party, you're right, and uh, he was, I think, at practice maybe that day before, Saturday or Friday, you know, getting ready for the bowl game, and, you know, just did, did not expect something like this uh, to happen, you know, just, what, like, less than three weeks after the season ended
0: Absolutely. And, Joe, even as someone that's a, a big Ole Miss fan, I think now in hindsight, I'm very glad that Mississippi State won that Egg Bowl. I'm glad that Mike Leach got to have that to tack on to his legacy. And to be honest, I mean, I thought him and Mississippi State deserved that game because they wanted it more than Ole Miss did.
1: Yeah, that that's definitely something, you know, you look back and you feel good for him. And another thing I'll give him a lot of credit for, is that I really think that he helps diffuse he and Joe Moorhead both helped diffuse that rivalry the last five years, because I get, you know, that it gets competitive, but with Dan Mullen and Hugh Freeze, like that got completely out of hand. And I think that it's just on a so much better level as far as a healthier rivalry.
0: Now yeah, I agree with you on that, Joe. I mean, uh, Growing up in, in Mobile and going to Auburn, I always thought that the Iron Bowl was the end-all, be-all in terms of rivalries, and it was the one where there was the most hate involved. But really, for the most part, I thought there was like a lot more respect shown between the fan bases in Auburn and Alabama games, and especially and on the field especially, too, than what I saw with the Egg Bowl. Because I remember when we first went to law school, the first year I was at Ole Miss— I will never forget this on the square. I saw Ole Miss fans throwing rocks at Mississippi State fans. It blew my mind. And I actually saw this. And it seemed like, I mean, you think about all the fights that you had on the field, the imitating the dog, urinating, all this kind of stuff that happened. Like it got really, it got really bad. The robbery did for a little bit.
1: It did. It did. It, you know, you heard like the, the school up north rhetoric, like just everything. It was like 365 days a year. And like I said, I I get that it's a rivalry, but I think there's also, like you said, a level of respect and professionalism that you can, you know, treat towards your opponent. And I think that, you know, years ago it wasn't, you know, on that level. And now, you know, thankfully that respect has been restored.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could see it with Lane Kiffin and uh, with Mike Leach. They were coaches that respected each other and liked each other. And I think for that reason, their players seemed to get along better And the fan base is healed to an extent. I think having those guys that were friends really kind of helped.
1: Right. Yeah, they were good friends going back to their time at Washington State and USC, respectively.
0: That's right, Joe. And, I mean, you know, I'm interested to see now, uh, you know, on the Auburn side of it with John Cohen hiring Hugh Freeze, I think he ultimately made the right hire for Mississippi State with Mike Leach because it seems like they were on an upward trajectory before this, you know, I mean, inexplicable tragedy happened, because if you look at Leach's career from Texas Tech to Washington State, it always took them three to four years before they really started getting on that upper trajectory. And then that like four to seven year range is where they had some of their best success. I mean, having an 11 win season at both places, you have one at Texas Tech, you have one at Washington State and you know you always feel like that third to fourth year was when they won eight or nine games and he did that with Mississippi State this year beating I think three top 25 teams and of course getting his first win in the Egg Bowl.
1: Yeah and he was just you know really good at getting good quarterback play over the years you know with guys like Graham Harrell Um, you think about uh, I guess even Cliff Kingsbury played under him and um, you know Will Rogers and Gardner Minshew and You know, he would have had two years probably more potentially if uh, Will Rogers had come back for his fifth year.
0: That's right, Joe. I mean, I thought Connor Holiday, the first quarterback he had at Washington State, was someone that was very good. Um, He had somebody else that I'm trying to think of that he had at, at, uh, I think Klingler that he had at at Texas Tech was good. You know, all these quarterbacks just, you know, they throw for so many yards, but they get all those reps and, You know, you look at also, too, what I thought was impressive was this coaching tree. Like right now, people that have direct lineage to Mike Leach include uh, Lincoln Riley, Cliff Kingsbury, um, Dave Aranda, I think, started uh, in that system. And there's so many different people right now that have their their coaching jobs because of Mike Leach.
1: That's right. That's right. The the Mike Leach uh, coaching tree is pretty lengthy and extends with a lot of branches. Another interesting thing I I found out that when uh, Mike Leach was an undergraduate at BYU, he was there at the same time that Steve Young was in college. And uh, Mike Leach did not play college football, but he spent a lot of time around the team kind of uh, analyzing film. And, uh, you know, that was a time when college football was not as pass heavy. And he got a lot of experience uh, watching Steve Young's teams and you kind of see, you know, his offense has probably emulated a lot of those, uh, you know, pass-heavy tendencies that you saw with also, you know, Young at BYU and then with the 49ers.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that, that's kind of the way that the BYU used to be ran. And you think about Steve Young's offense, it was. It was passing all the time and he, or him running it. I mean, that was what he did. And he ran that West Coast offense, which the West Coast offense is a little bit similar to Mike Leach's offense in that the passing game, on short three- to five-yard throws is your version of the running game. So they all kind of coalesce together like that.
1: Yes, yes. And I just loved, you know, his life story, you know, uh, kind of working his way up, you know, not necessarily being a player in college at professional level, learning a lot at BYU as a student, then going to law school at Pepperdine, just kind of a really cool story.
0: And, Joe, I heard something, too, that was really cool about the way that he got his first uh, coaching job. He he got his first coaching job, and I think it's like San Luis Obispo Polytechnical College in California or something. And the coach there, I guess this was right after he got out of Pepperdine, he drew up a play, and he brought it to this coach and said, uh, I really want to get a job as a GA at your school. Look at this play that I'm giving you. I want you to look at this play and tell me if you don't think that this is a play that – Will get, that no one's going to be able to stop and that it's going to be really successful. And the coach apparently looked at this play and said, uh, Mike, that's a really good play, except you have 12 people on the field.
1: <laughs>
0: but then he said, come back tomorrow and I'll give you a job. And that's how he got into the coaching field. You know, he, he got his law degree from Pepperdine, decided he didn't want to be a lawyer, but this is the way his mind worked, that he was just, you know, he set his mind to it. He wrote a play out and he put himself out there. And I think that's the coolest legacy he has is that his mind is just amazing, the intricacies of it. Like he was always thinking about different kind of subjects, uh, you know, a real Renaissance man and that someone that could really kind of be successful whatever he chose to do, and ultimately he just decided to be a football coach.
1: That's right. And I think, you know, he, he was a brilliant mind. Um, I think additionally, he just had great perspective on the game. I think that, you know, obviously football was his job, his profession. But I think he also recognized, you know, maybe unlike any other coach, especially in the contemporary times, that it is a game at the end of the day. It was almost like he was in on the joke, in on the secret that maybe everybody else can't quite, you know, figure out. It just I think it was so nice to have somebody, you know, that was candid, you know, that always was quotable and then just was a real person.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you know, so many of these coaches now are robotic. It's about the process. Uh, we didn't execute, you know, whatever. You asked Mike Leach, like, well, why didn't your pass game when we throw for 80 yards against Alabama? He'd be like, I don't know. What do you feel, think about candy corn? Let's talk about that. And he would just go off on the tangent. And he didn't want to talk about football when he, when he got done coaching a game. And I kind of think it was brilliant in his own way and that he never kind of talked himself into a circle about what he was doing. And you know, so many of these coaches like will dig a dig a hole about well, why did you choose to start this quarterback and not this one, or why didn't you choose to go for it on fourth down and kick this field goal? Mike Leach would be like, oh, what, you asked me about that field goal. Well, what about Vlad the Impaler back in the 1400s and his strategy for how he uh, exceeded Transylvanian uh, authority throughout Europe? You know, he'd say something like that, and then you'd just be like, what? And then he'd go off on on this, and you never get any kind of answers about that kind of stuff. And he got to talk about what he liked. He got good quotes about it. And you never painted him in a corner. So it's kind of brilliant in its own way.
1: Mm-hmm. No, it, it really is. And I've heard that a lot of coaches looked forward to their interactions with him before the games. Like Lane Kiffin, you know, it kind of goes back to what we were saying about the Egg Bowl rivalry being kind of restored on a more uh, amicable level. That I think they look forward to greeting each other before the games, you know, at the center of the field because you just never knew what Leach was going to say.
0: Right. And, and Joe, I just thought, like, his whole, like, pirate persona was one of the coolest things, which is why today I'm wearing my Pirates Cove hat and my Pirates Cove shirt from my favorite uh water eatery uh, down in Alberta, Alabama, that you can get to by boat. Really fantastic place. If you've never been to Pirates Cove. It's one of the coolest places I've ever been. Probably my favorite bar restaurant in the world. I think it's much cooler than Fort Bama, actually.
1: Yeah, in that that pirate, you know, aspect, you, know, you think about how fitting it is, too, that um, they're going to be playing in what used to be the uh, Outback Bowl. You know, it's at uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Stadium in Tampa Bay, and they have a – or in Tampa, and they have a uh, pirate ship um, in the stadium.
0: I mean, Joe, I think that would not the most fitting thing ever for Mike Leach, you know, and I could see this being like in his will is – you put his ashes and you shoot it out in the cannon. I think he would love something like that, you know, just to give him, like, the kind of proper thing that he wants. Because I think, you know, with, with Mike, I think that he probably wouldn't want people to be sad about him just to more be, like, celebrating who he was and, you know, mm-hmm. talking about the interests he had. And I think I think it would be cool. I bet he's got some kind of cool thing about how his send-off is being out put on the water, maybe even being on a pirate ship. But that would be awesome. Ashes. Yeah, that,
1: that- that, that really would be, absolutely.
0: Um, but on that, though, Joe, I thought we'd look up and see what some of the best Mike Leach quotes are in his moments. And, Joe, I thought, you know, before we get to the quote, let's go to a moment. I thought one of Mike Leach's best moments was his first game at Washington State when it had been three years since he had coached at Texas Tech. Of course, I mean, he brought Texas Tech to the highest of highs. They won 11 games. You're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But then, of course, you had the issue that happened with Craig James's son where, you know, I mean, he apparently got locked into a shed for a couple of period of, a couple of hours or something like that. Craig James, of course, being on the Pony Express, was on ESPN at that time, had a lot of weight. And they ended up firing Mike Leach over it at Texas Tech. And, you know, there was a lot of debates. There was a lawsuit filed over it as to whether that was a rightful termination, whether, you know, what was said about what happened was what actually happened. But, you know, Mike Leach took the hit for it. He he wasn't at that point uh, able to be bulletproof against someone like a Craig James. And then, you know, he had to he had to sit his time out. But when he comes back to Washington State – the first game that he has is against Auburn and Gus Malzahn's first game at Auburn. And this is the same year that Auburn went to the national championship game and lost, you know, in the last 13 seconds against Jameis Winston. And I remember in that Washington State game, their defense held down Nick Marshall and Auburn. Uh, it ended up being a one-score game, and I think Auburn had to stop them, like, inside the 50, you know, at the very end of the game, to win the game. And their offense ended up putting up, like, You know, I think like 500 yards against Auburn. I remember watching that and thinking, wow, what this guy did at Texas Tech, it's going to go to the Pac-12, and it's going to work. And I remember when I watched that game, I was like, he's going to be successful at Washington State. And it seems quirky the way he runs his offense, but he's not a one-hit wonder. And that was when I realized that this is a guy that he's going to be successful wherever he goes with his style of offense, no matter how much it seems like one that's not going to work.
1: Right. Right. Absolutely. Like it translates well, you know, regardless of the situation. And, you know, I think about, you know, before he gets to Washington state, you know, his tenure at Texas tech and, you know, the moment I want to talk about back in 08, that game that they played against Texas, you know, in Lubbock, uh, not only was that such a great game with a thrilling finish with the pass from, um, Graham Harrell to Michael Crabtree for the last second touchdown, but just um, how impactful in the implications that game had on the rest of the season, because Texas probably wins the national championship or has a good play for the national championship, if not for that game. And we just look, you know, at everything that Texas has been through since then. And it, it really just was a very impactful game. In addition to, you know, coach Leach at that point, he was on the top of the college football world.
0: That's right. Cause I mean, I think Texas would have had a chance to go against Tim Tebow in Florida that year because that was the year before Texas went to the national championship and lost to Alabama.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. So that was, that was a huge win. And I mean, I remember that touchdown uh, pass. That's one of those plays that sticks out in your mind, just, you know, just fitting it in right there between the defender on the sideline, you know, Crabtree toe tapping and then running in for the touchdown in Texas tech. And it's just one of those delirious moments that, you know, probably a, you know, a top 10 play, maybe in college football history.
1: I think so. Really iconic.
0: Well, Joe, speaking of iconic, he's got so many great just quotes. And the first one that I wanted to talk about uh, was his Halloween quote, talking about candy corn. Um, They had just beaten Vanderbilt in a game and it was close to Halloween And I think the reporter knew that they would have a great, you know, just off the cuff answer when they asked him what his thoughts were on candy corn. And, you know, to paraphrase, he said that uh, candy corn is the most awful candy that's ever been created. And there's a reason they serve it once a year because nobody likes it. He's like, it's kind of similar to fruitcake. They only serve fruitcake at Christmas. They only serve candy corn at Halloween. It's because nobody likes either one of those. And I would ask you if you only want to serve a certain kind of candy or sweet once a year and it's not good, then why would you make it at all?
1: I mean, it's an interesting question. I've actually ironically heard some people even say that about Thanksgiving food. They'll say that Thanksgiving food is maybe overhyped because if it was really that good, we'd eat it, you know, more often.
0: I mean, Joe, I will say this: a contrary you know, controversial thing. A turkey can be kind of dry. And it's not the best thing all the time, especially, you know, uh, you you like to eat one that's been hunted. A gamey turkey can even be worse. So there's a lot of validity to that. And I definitely agree with him on candy corn. Candy corn is horrible. I, I can't stand it. But, you know, unlike most people, I do like fruitcake. I think fruitcake gets a bad rap, Joe. I think it's quite tasty. And I just think, you know, people just hear it. And it just doesn't sound appetizing to them. But when you eat it, it's one of those good things you can get on the go. And it's, you know, it's kind of like eating just a banana bread type thing that's got a little bit a little bit of fruits in it. I think fruitcake is quite nice.
1: Yeah, I think probably there's a lot of people out there that just haven't tried it because of that bad rep.
0: Exactly. And I, I think that's the case. Now, anything you could say about candy corn is 100% accurate. That's just terrible. It's just like, you know, a melded sugar cube that's got a weird consistency to it and is yellow and orange. I don't understand the, the appeal behind it. Mm-hmm. Right. All right, uh, Joe. So here's one that, that I didn't even know about until I looked it up today, uh, courtesy of Sporting News. And I thought this was fantastic. Apparently, uh, Mike Leach, when he was a boy growing up in Wyoming, had a pet raccoon that they took into his house. And he was talking about this. Uh, Apparently, he named this uh, raccoon in great uh, Mike Leach fashion, Bilbo Baggins, of course, after the character from The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And because he liked shiny things like Bilbo Baggins, of course, had his ring. And he talked about the night that he and his family finally decided that having a pet raccoon in the house wasn't a great decision. And they had to let Bilbo go. And here's what he said. One night, Bilbo got particularly feisty, so my dad and I drove him out to the woods. Once we found a good spot, we stopped, and I put him on the ground and took his collar off. He kind of ambled about taking in his new surroundings. I prefaced this next part by saying, I do think humans and animals share an unspoken understanding to some extent. That's why it's so easy to bond with pets. So this is how I remember saying goodbye to Bilbo. He wandered 10 yards away or so from the truck, and then he turned and looked back at us and had this expression like, it was nice knowing you It was this moment where we like both I knew and he knew that we had some good times, but this was it. It was upward and onward for both of us. And that's Mike Leach and his pet raccoon yep. and their sorrowful departure from each other. That's
1: one of those uh, great examples of his quotes.
0: It is. I mean, I can't even imagine having a pet raccoon because you think of the rabies aspect, they're pretty bitey. Just saw one in my backyard the other day, and that's a horrifying thought to me. Mm-hmm.
1: They get pretty crazy.
0: Yeah. Uh and then Joe, the number one thing that, that I that I like about uh Mike Leach was his opinion of a mascot battle between all the different mascots in the Pac-12 where he kind of analyzes this and he talks about you know the Oregon Ducks about the Arizona Sun Devil that's my favorite one where he talks about that and i thought this one was worthy of getting played right here so this is uh you know this is when he was at Washington State and he was being ta- he was talking about a battle of the mascots within the Pac-12 and who would win. And this is Mike Leach at his absolute finest.
2: Well, first of all, what kind of mythical powers does the Sun devil have? We've got to consider that. I'm going to say the Wildcat's out. Uh, the Trojan, is he, does he have a horse, or is he on foot? Does he have a bow and arrow, or just a sword? Uh, the Bruin, definitely formidable. Um, uh another bear up there, a cow. Now, uh, the tree, I imagine that tree's going to get chopped down. Um, or it's unless we're going to go with the bird and somebody might get pecked or something, I don't know. And then um, the duck, the uh, duck might lose interest and just fly away and get out of there, which may be good advice under the circumstances. Uh, the husky, no chance. Uh, the beaver... Well, we'll see how long that beaver can hold his breath. Um, the, uh, the Ute again, we're back to, uh, is he on horseback? Does he have a bow and arrow? Did he trade for a rifle? I mean, you know, cause if that youth has got a rifle, there's some definite problems. And then, um, and, uh, You'd have to get one of those Harry Potter activists to read up on how you kill a sun devil, because there's a lot of uh, outside stuff there. Um, just as far as a beast alone, uh, a buffalo is going to be pretty hard to tangle with. I mean, a, bu- a buffalo is d- utterly outstanding. Well, but Butch but is going to have to be clear-minded and crafty. I mean, Butch will Butch will find a way. There's no question. The will find a way uh clear-minded and crafty a combination of stay out of harm's way and and uh <clears throat> and attack when you get your uh, your chances or your openings well first of all
0: so, yeah so that's Mike Leach on who would win in a mascot battle between the Pac-12 mascots. Um you know my favorite is when he talks about the Sun Devil it would take Harry Potter to take it down. And then he asks what kind of mythical qualities does the Sun Devil have you have to consider this And what I love about this quote, Joe, is you could tell that he had thought about this at some point before this question was asked to him. It's like he went into into so much detail, especially when, you know, you consider his uh, apparently he was a a big fan of Geronimo, the Native American leader, and he studied up on his warfare tactics. And he heard when he was talking about the Ute, which, of course, is a Native American. uh, Does he have a horse? Is he on horseback? Is he using a bow and arrow or does he have a gun? He, he thinks about whether or not the Ute could have traded for a gun in order to succeed in this, and then of course he, uh, you know, he tells the duck the way it is. The duck would probably leave because he would lose interest. And I just love, like, you know, the analytics that he had to think about this uh, impossible battle between Pac-12 mascots. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: No, I mean his his attention to detail, you know, is just um, unbelievable there, and you know it's humorous, it's tongue in cheek. And it also, to me, reflects how generous, you know, he was with his time. You know, he didn't just gloss over questions. He, he had fun with his answers.
0: No, I mean, he – I think, unlike most coaches, he just, like, they're sweating bullets up there when they're getting interviewed. I think he genuinely enjoyed it because he made that decision that he was going to talk about whatever it was that he wanted to talk about. And guess what it wasn't going to be about? It wasn't going to be about football. It wasn't going to be about whether they beat Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl, whether they lost Alabama by 31 points – whether they beat USC or lost to Washington, it was going to be about Geronimo. It was going to be about mythical mascot fights, and it was going to be about candy corn. And that's who he was. And I just love it. I really do. Yeah,
1: just just a a treasure.
0: He is. He's a treasure. And, you know, sad loss, a loss for for Mississippi State, a loss for the SEC, and a loss for college football in general because – there isn't anyone else that has a personality like him. I mean, you know, you had Steve Spurrier back in the day who was funny like he was, but it was a different kind of funniness than what Mike Leach had. And now, I mean, I don't even know who the best personality is who can replace him. I mean, in my mind, Sam Pittman is someone who really is very genuine and is himself, but even that's a very different kind of personality than Mike Leach. There's just, I don't know that you're ever going to get someone like him again.
1: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to think of anybody. I agree. It's tough.
0: It is. But when we get uh, we come back from the break, we're going to talk about uh, his Bulldogs and their bowl game. Joe and I are going to talk about all of our picks and the last 25 bowl games that we have. I uh, want to thank all of our listeners. Uh, you know, also want to put our shouts and prayers to Mike Leach and his family. And uh, you can listen to all of our episodes on Spotify. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at DJ Sports Show. You can also uh, like our YouTube channel and subscribe to it, the Dan and Joe Sports Show YouTube channel. And as always, I'm Dan. I'm sure.